Well, Owen, you know, the first thing I think of when I see this is the, uh, is our test screenings. Yeah. Yes. That's, that fills me with dread. Um, maybe we should introduce ourselves. I'm Wes Anderson. I'm Owen Wilson. We're doing the commentary for the new Criterion Bottle Rocket DVD. Uh, this was a scene that we did after. This was a reshoot. This was or additional shooting. Additional photography, we call it. <laughs> yeah, the original beginning was when you're walking down that uh, alley. You're talking about Starsky and Hutch. Yes. That, well, that's not in there. That was, we didn't do that in the real movie. Yeah, then it became, well, at first it was about Starsky and Hutch, about the talking about, um, you know, picking up the phone. The telephone, yeah. Yeah. And then it became fitness. Then it became fitness. Yeah. But I still remember some of that dialogue. Like, it has the logic of a dream. Yeah, yes, that's in the short, I think. Or is that in the movie, too? Yeah. Can't really remember this movie that well anymore. I haven't seen it in forever, it seems like. Uh, how long ago? How, right now, from now, I think it's about 15 years ago that we made this movie. Is that right? Yeah. 94, I think we were shooting this, 14 years ago. But it, it, took, it was in post-production for a few years, so... Because <laughs> yes. it was actually on cable the other day, and I was sitting there, and I was saying, oh, I don't want to watch it because I'm going to be watching it, and I want to keep all my comments everything fresh. Well, you know, this man right there who's playing the doctor, Dr. Nichols, that's Ned Dowd, who is a, who's a very uh, well-known, uh, well, he's, he was the first assistant director. He was a, he's a producer now. He, uh, he was a hockey player. And he wrote Slapshot. That's right. He or did his sister write Slapshot? Oh, yeah, his sister wrote it based on his... His account. And he's the, he's, what's the name of the bad guy on the other team? Yeah. Should have our research person help us with that right now. We don't have that. This is, there's a, um, Antonia Bogdanovich and Sasha Bogdanovich. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, Owen, do you remember, um, were you excited to, uh, you, at first you didn't want to act in it. Do you remember that? Yes. Um, it was probably, I just didn't think it would work having, having us. I probably wanted to act. I just didn't think that we'd probably be able to do it or that it wouldn't seem, it wouldn't, that was, it wouldn't really seem like a real movie. Yeah. I think that was what it was, wanting to get kind of... I remember. You, I, 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 I feel like it didn't feel... We didn't, you didn't feel like it would be very professional. Yeah. Um, That's... The, um, yeah, here we have the 75-year plan. Next 50. Yeah. So did you enjoy your first visit to the Nuthouse? Did you hey, like hey, that? Shh, shh, shh. I think we're still in the reshoot part. Yeah. People are not comfortable talking about emotional disturbances. 
I think behind there, I see Scott Peterson, our script supervisor, a couple of rows back. Is that you right behind Luke? That's me. That was me behind Luke. It was? Yeah. Well, you know, I watched probably behind there watching the monitor. But that was like I could see your Yeah, it was your hair. Yeah, you could see my head there. But I never knew that. Yeah, well, you knew it at the time. Yeah, but I don't, I, maybe, I don't know it. I certainly didn't remember it. Yeah. Here we are in Dallas, Greenway Park. Greenway Parks. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember shooting any of this. <laughs> is the, sh this, this is similar to the short. This is, yeah. This is like the short. We have different music. The short was more, I think we have jazz, jazz music in this part during the short. Okay, now do you have the questions from Susan? Uh, no, what questions? She gave us some questions in case we had long silences, like some of the ones that we've already introduced into this. <laughs> um, so let me see. I have, I, I can, I'm going to click through here. Bottle Rocket question from Susan. Talk about the genesis of the short film. Well, this scene we're, right now is in the short. Okay, criticisms. Criticisms. I have only one. Not very thorough. Left a lot of valuables. Yeah, I don't think that was no, a mistake. No, I know, no. That was one of the limitations of this job. Yeah, you know what I remember? I remember when you first put on the costume. Remember, you were trying on different versions of the costume, and then, and, and I don't think you felt that comfortable with some of the, you know, the, like the white is very, it's just, I don't know, it didn't make you feel very comfortable. And then I think this must be the first day of shooting because as soon as you came out of the wardrobe trailer, sort of having, having felt like this was going to be your costume, you were seemed like kind of suddenly transformed. I remember very clearly just suddenly you, the character was there. Really? Yeah, that first day when you walked out of the thing, it was different from the short. It was just very, it's the, you, you, <laughs> like the way you walk and this stuff. It's something I've kind of, it's kind of similar to something you would do in real life as a, as a, but a kind of a thing you would do, not as your actual way of moving, but somehow you had, you really had locked in on it. Yeah, because this probably, is, it's, um, it's sort of a heightened alertness. Yes. Uh, and it's a little bit of a uniform that I have on, so it kind of feels, and now yeah, it's high waters, pants. Uh, but I think it's probably, yeah, it just felt like a, I think it helped that it kind of felt like a uniform. Yes, I mean, we don't want to overly analyze the performance, but I just remember being aware after a couple, and not after, I think more like a few hours of filming, suddenly feeling you were doing something with the way you were moving that we really needed to make sure to capture. I wonder if it was because I was nervous and it was sort of like playing a sport, the way you sort of make up for your nervousness or that you're new is you try extra hard. And it was sort of a... That's what I was doing, was trying extra hard. Uh, 
and th- and I think that fit the character is trying extra hard. Yeah, and and probably that I'm doing stuff with Luke. I probably have like a, a natural thing of being a little bit more in charge. Yeah. Or at least trying to be in charge. Right. Which also fits the character. Yes. Yes, maybe we should talk about Luke's character, or Luke's uh, performance. Well, I remember when we showed the short to... um, Kit Carson? Well, eventually we got into the hands of Jim Brooks, and he really responded to Luke's presence. Yes. And I think said something like it was... You know, he, uh, it was like Montgomery Clift or something. Yeah. And that was based on the short. He really was blown away with this. Now, we just missed this because I was just talking about this the other day with um, with somebody. Because uh, this scene has always been one of my... I think this is so funny to me. The uh, Because I remember when you wrote that sentence, Bob Maplethorpe, potential getaway driver, Go. <laughs> And I still think it's really funny just to say it. Yeah, because we were so depressed. Yeah, we were so depressed. We were the we had done the uh, test screenings that didn't go well, and we had to do some reshoots. And that's what the first scene was one of the reshoots, and then that was another scene. And then you were kind of in a little bit of a funk where it was hard to get you to focus on these reshoots or doing these rewrites. Yeah. And I remember kind of going up to you, and you had your head down like a kid in study hall who's, like, not doing anything. And I said, Wes, come on. What I mean, have you, you know, I was, like, working downstairs, and I came up to see how you're doing. And you, like, didn't, I go, have you come up with anything? And you didn't even say anything. You just pushed the paper over to me. And that's all it said was Bob Maplethorpe, potential getaway driver, go. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I meant when I, the thing I said to you earlier today. You know, the, did you get the text message I wrote you earlier today? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant. Because that really, I remember suddenly thinking, God damn it. Let's try it. <laughs> it's still really funny, though. When I told it to David Frankel yesterday, he was really laughing. Because he said something. He said something, yeah, that reminded me of that. The problem is, was we get we get caught up talking, and then we, all these things have gone by that... We probably had things to say about, but what what do you what were you gonna talk about? I was gonna say one thing, Kit Carson. You know, you were saying about. I thought that Jim had said Montgomery Clift about you. No, I remember Kit Carson saying about Luke. It's Robert Mitchum. He's a young <laughs> Robert Mitchum. Um, and Luke is. You know, the thing about Luke is, Luke is somebody who I think has always inspired people to kind of uh, follow him. I think he's had kind of, um, you know, people who... Yes, I think you're right. I've told you that. Um, and sometimes he doesn't see it himself. Like, I remember in, when he was in fifth grade, him, you know, coming home, he was complaining to my parents that the other kids didn't really like him. He had just begun uh, at St. Mark's. And then he was elected class president. Right. Uh Yes, yes. Not not really aware of the hero worship that he was inspiring Yeah. in some people. Here's the introduction of Andrew and Brian Tenenbaum. Yeah, he's here. He's, uh, he's, in, he's, he's, he's here at the house. I'm going to see if Bob's keeping the pool clean. That's future, man. Uh, yeah, I know. 
the fuck is this? I remember I'm looking at Brian here and I remember when he first saw the movie saying that some people shouldn't be on screen and that's how he felt watching himself. He's felt that he, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, and then we've had him in we've had him in three at least three movies. And he looks great and he always is very natural. Yeah. But I think everybody feels like it's a little bit like when you hear your voice on an answering machine or something seeing yourself or maybe for some people it isn't a big deal but uh i think it's an odd experience though i mean i remember when you when you and luke were first seeing yourselves it was very strange to you it's an odd experience but you definitely get over it yeah and then we also in the scene where i was talking about you know when we when we meet bob that was bob musgrave our friend from dallas who played that role yeah, Bob, who who really uh, really helped and shaped that character, I think. He really did because before, when you and I were roommates down in down in Austin, the script was a little bit more. It's going to be kind of how would you describe it? Um, gritty. Yeah, it was supposed to be more gritty, and there was a character of Hanson. Yeah, which already sounds like a kind of fake thing. Yeah, it was, I think, more kind of like a James Dean. Well, it was back when the script had, like, there was a scene where one of them is shot, and I think maybe dies? Yeah. Or something like that, and one of them is saying, No! No! (laughs) Which it doesn't really fit the tone of where we ended up later. So that's what was good when Bob... When he became that character. Yes. Or when, when we knew that we were writing for Bob. We were much better off. Also, you know, when Bob, Bob auditioned for us, um, it's in a scene that's, not, that's in the deleted scenes, but I saw it the other day, where his, uh, he's washing his car. Bob auditioned? Yeah, he auditioned behind the apartment at Throckmorton, remember? Did he play it kind of cool? How was his audition? He, he did a bad job. He did. And then one of our other friends at the time, uh, uh, I mean, one of our other friends still, uh, but who, who just happened to be there at the time, is Tony Miller. He then auditioned. He read the scene because then we thought, well, maybe we'll just get Tony to do it. He's standing here and Bob can't do it. And Bob watched that happen. And Bob, I think, in that moment said, this is, I've got to do it right now. Then Bob did the scene again. And he was basically the character in the movie. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. You don't remember that. He had that dent in his car. I can hear our accents sound stronger. More in the short, even. Yes. I paid for the gun. Say it again. Say it one more time. Say it again. Repeat what you just said. I paid for the gun. Let's give also the context of the movie, because I remember there were movies, there were all these movies kind of coming out that were crime movies, and... Right. Yeah, ours was, we, I don't think we quite had it in us to deliver the, the goods on the, um, on the shootouts and stuff. No. I apologize, that was poor leadership. 
I'm under a lot of pressure right now, and I don't feel... There began to be sort of more, and I think you see it in this scene, there's like kind of a, I guess, an insecurity in the characters that is probably different from those other movies. Yeah, it's somehow, it's a scene that's like a comedy scene, and it's very, it's sort of, you know, what you're doing has so much irony in it, but it's very, but you know, it's very, um, I think there's a lot of emotion in that character. Yeah, it's sort of like when uh, I remember saying to this friend, uh, hey, and do me a favor. And he said, what's that? I said, will you take it easy on my friend Bruce? You have a tendency to be pretty rough on him. And he said, you know, Owen, when you take out the irony of that, it still is a really nice thing to say to somebody. (laughs) (laughs) And I had kind of meant it as a joke to him, but then I realized it is a really nice thing. And I think there's stuff like that in this movie that it still is a really nice thing. That's right. Yeah, you know the this. Uh, yes, I remember this moment of shoot. I do remember the moment of shooting that. <laughs> I do remember this. The um, uh, we had the let's get lucky that comes from Barry Braverman. Remember? Yeah. When we were shooting the short, our director of photography, while we were shooting the short, that's what he would say, kind of before every shot. Okay, guys, let's get lucky. Let's get lucky. And this is Deepak. And this is that thing that people are always saying to you why they can't let you do something is because if I say yes to you, then I have to say yes to other people. And that's what literally just happens to Deepak. <laughs> he says, if I say yes to Luke, and then I'm right in there. The, uh, now, you know, I think a lot, Bob Musgrave and Kumar, who's the father of Deepak, who we, who we just saw there, um, I think both of them helped us. The fact that, that th- those were our friends that we were writing for um, helped us to know what the movie ought to be. I think once we kind of knew Kumar and Bob. Right, that that's when it became that it, that it obviously wasn't going to be something like Reservoir Dogs. It was going to be something. It was going to be a comedy. Yeah, and also it, it and it seemed suddenly we had people that fit with 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 you guys better. Yeah, that it was going to be. I guess it it became when you had Bob and you had Kumar, then it became more personal. Yeah, much more personal. And there's Dignan. This is Stephen Dignan. Use the little bags. Put the money in there. We'll just use another old friend. Playing Rob. Why, why do you wear that tape on your nose? Here's your little bags, man. Yeah, you know, we could talk about, um, we could talk about, um, Jim and Polly and Richard. We went, it was, I mean, Jim helped us so much with this. Polly saw our short, which was shown by Kit Carson, who had seen it and gotten inspired by it and wanted to get involved. And then, Kit showed it to Barbara Boyle, Michael Taylor. There were these people that we've oh, that we've known over the years, and they were the ones that helped us get the chance to make the movie. And Polly saw Polly, who we knew about from uh, Last Picture Show and the movie she'd done with Peter Bogdanovich, and also she's a production designer. She's done Bad News Bears and lots of other things. Um, and um, she brought it to her boss, Jim Brooks. I mean, it's all, I don't know. 
but Jim's the, Jim's the one who helped us really helped us learn how to write a script. Yeah, because we I mean we were we went out and did the rewrite for over a year. It seemed like. Yeah, and you know, ever since then, for me, I, I mean, for you too, you know, when we're writing, we're t- I, I hear Jim's voice all the time ask, you know, their, their basic questions that we kind of got from Jim, the, the, the questions to ask yourself when you're writing, I think. I think if Jim was a musical group, you'd, he's, you'd have all of his albums. <laughs> This I like. This house is a Frank Lloyd Wright house that's uh, in Dallas. It looks yeah. great. I think he di- he died during the construction. I think he had designed it, or you know, his 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 firm was designing. He was sort of semi the architect. But I think he died while they were building it. Now here's a big lift right there that we just jumped through about 20 minutes of the movie in its earlier versions. In a movie with not a particularly strong narrative or any action sequences, we made the decision to cut out one of our big action bits. Yes, one of the few things that actually happens in the story. It didn't seem right to have something happen like that. It didn't work for the story. And that was what the cops coming and us... Getting yeah. running down the street for Bob growing his pot plants, and then I remember you and I had an argument that night, and we got along. Oh, I remember the whole that. Shoot, but there was an argument. I don't remember what it was about. I remember it was, it was something. I was running, and no, it had to do with uh, with something. Somebody with the performance. Somebody who's uh, who's not in the movie. Oh, okay. Were you nervous directing? Um, no, I wasn't. In fact, I was never less nervous d- directing a, a movie or or sh- or showing it or anything than th- than this movie, until we finally got it in front of an audience. And it didn't play. <laughs> and it was not working. You felt like the. <laughs> I yeah, I was so confident about it. I really did feel like everything anybody was saying. I just kept thinking, uh huh, uh-huh, what just. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait to let the people decide. That line, it, it ain't no trip to Cleveland, is from Miami Vice. It's what Crockett says when they have to go on a big adventure. And I'm in Miami right now. And, of course, I think about that show. Yeah. It's funny. In Fantastic Mr. Fox, I've got a thing from Miami Vice. Do you remember when... Uh, one where Evan... Oh, yeah, I was just talking to your brother about that. Oh, really? About Evan. Um, Evan, Evan, yeah. And there's a shot at the end where Crockett is holding Evan, the, their friend, who his old friend who's kind of gone both sides of the law, or I don't remember. Is his name Evan or Evan? I think, I think Evan, I think you're right, Evan. And that they, at the last shot, Crockett's holding the cameras down like below the ground, looking up past the guy like a Pieta sort of pose. And then Tubbs steps in high above him and puts his hand on his shoulder. And there's a freeze frame. Anyway, we're going to try to recreate that with our foxes. This, is, this movie has, a, has some looping. That was a big loop sequence. Yep, we did some looping. 
In fact, we used to go, we spent weeks on the ADR stage. You can, it's very, been very tightened up in the cutting. In the first round, we kind of let it breathe a bit too much. <laughs> and here's Luke. It's very difficult. These I, I've, somehow I've never been able to have good. Uh, I have struggled with the underwater stuff. They always when they when they put in the heat, it always turns cloudy. This is Lumi Cavazos from like Water for Chocolate. Who we, who, we, who was who was great? The movie looks pretty great. Did you guys do? Bob and I did a new transfer of it. Or I'm looking at these colors and, and, and that, you know, when we just pulled into the motel, was that sign there or did you guys put that in there? We put that there. Loomy. Loom. Loom. Get my haircut. That's just not possible. All right. It's shot. This all seems to be magic hour. Yeah. Or it's a really golden light. It's nice to wear this this light. I guess so. Then you, my dear friend, are a damn fool. Let's go, Bob. Come on, Bob. Let's go. Bob, should we talk about Bob Yeoman? A damn fool. A damn fool. Bob Yeoman is the cinematographer who's worked on all the things with you. Yeah, we've done all these movies, five or five movies, I think. Or, well, Darjeeling, let's see. We did Bottle Rocket and Rushmore and Tenenbaums and Life Aquatic and uh, Darjeeling, right, and, this, and, this, and that short, too. But Bob didn't work on the Bottle Rocket short. You know, we really got kind of whipsawed with our emotions or how we felt about the movie, or at least I did, because it felt great when we were doing it, and then when we test-screened it and it went so badly, and then it went through such a long post-production period, and then sometimes it seemed like, would it really get released? Yeah. And so then you kind of get like, geez, and we, what, what were we thinking? How did we think that people would enjoy this or think it was funny? And then it finally came out, and then some people really embraced it. The thing was, it came out, and still nobody went to see it. Nobody went to see it, but it got some good reviews, and and then yeah. some people really, uh, you know, some people really loved it, and and then you kind of, or at least then I started to feel like, oh, maybe it is pretty good. Yeah. But did you ever lose your confidence in it, or did you? Were you always able to? You'd like to not be affected by what other people think, but it's really difficult. Or it was for me, I guess, because it's really difficult. I think because maybe that it was because I hadn't acted before, also. So when it seemed like people didn't like the movie, it felt it. It feels like gosh, they don't like, and it's just it's. Yeah, it feels sort of like a personal rejection. Well, I, I know that when we first started screening it, um, when we screened it in Santa Monica, that, that we had a really awful experience there. And I remember that was suddenly I felt I couldn't stay in the room. I felt so, uh, it was so, I'd never been quite so humiliated before. 
Yeah. And, you know, p- people were walking out one after another. I think I think we lost 85 people uh, yeah. during the screening. And it was just, everything was just collapsing right there. And, um, you know, the whole, every, I mean, it was, you know, this, is our, this is everything for us. And, right, because, yeah, there's so much riding on it, you know, or, or you yeah. get to... Kind of this was it. Continue to <laughs> do it. So this, was our, this was our this was our chance. But then by the yeah. last test screening, even though the scores didn't really go up, it seemed like it played better. So much better. And I remember Cameron Cameron was there, Cameron Crow. Yeah. And he and he really liked it. Yeah. And and we were and you know, we were and we even we went to dinner with Jim and Polly and maybe Lisa Henson or somebody from the studio over the Hamburger Hamlet. Mm-hmm. And we were all celebrating, and the number, it had gotten a 24. <laughs> right. And then I remember with, uh, with Rushmore, the test screening for that, and thinking that it just killed, that it just played great. And then we're kind of excitedly waiting, and the scores were about what they were for Bottle Rocket. That's the same. Same. I remember, but I remember that was where we came out of the room, and Joe Roth was there with us. And Joe, you know... He was the head of Disney, um, and um, of of the movie part of Disney, and uh, he was, you know, he's very charismatic, Joe, and kind of everybody gathers around him, very eager. And Joe said, uh, "I said, well, that seemed pretty good, Joe. What do you think?" Uh, well, you know, I think about two thirds of the material went over the heads of two thirds of the audience members, and that's why the uh, the minimal laughter and the and the lack of any significant applause at the end, and I think the scores are going to reflect that. Yeah. And I was like, what? What? That reminds me, yeah, of uh, that we were kind of arguing for something with with Jim in the post production or something, and you said, what, what, that we that, that gets a big laugh, Jim. And Jim was like, well, hold it a second. A big laugh is when you see bodies shaking in the moving theater. Moving in the seats. Moving in the seats. <laughs> and uh, this movie doesn't have a big laugh in it. There was not a big laugh in the film. <laughs> there was not a big there laugh. Was not a big laugh. And then the I remember film. going to... Um, you know, some movie and and noticing it was like a big comedy, and that it really did look like there, like kind of like a sea of people, kind of like moving. Yeah. Uh, when there is like a big laugh. I know, I know, but you know, the funny thing is that you know Jim and Joe were right. You know, they knew how they knew what a good screening is like, and we didn't. But um, this movie, though, if you go screen this movie now. If the if it's you know over at the New Beverly or something, they actually do laugh. Yeah, they do laugh. But I guess that's more like a. Well, I remember there was. I remember we were kind of for some reason we were back in Dallas. Maybe it was Christmas time, and we'd kind of had some of the terrible test screenings, and you had some of the cards that you had kept. You know where people wrote their comments, and there was yeah. one card where that we kind of used to look at where the person was like one out of like, you know, 500 people. And this card said how how much he loved the movie. It was a girl. It was a girl? Did I never tell you this? But you, didn't you run in? You later met Yeah, I girl. met her. <laughs> this girl said to this girl, came up to me at something at the director, because she said, I, you know, I was uh, at that screening, that terrible screening so years ago in Santa Monica. And I was, I, I, I know who you, who you are. 
You what? I, I, I know who you are. You were t- I know your card. You knew her <laughs> comments because we had memorized them. I knew we her. had the one card. And we were like, and I remember saying, this is our audience. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> one in 500. It's a, yes, there it is. Like, I wonder if, because uh, now when I'm kind of watching this scene and the way we're acting, it seems more natural. Like, the, that first scene, it seemed a little, maybe that's just because it's the beginning of the movie and it, it felt like we were maybe more nervous. The, well, I think we for that reshoot, it was a more nervous thing. It wasn't the same. This is, this is, this, this, by this scene, you're really in the groove. When we did the reshoot, it was California and the movie's already in trouble. Yeah. And I think we all felt a different kind of pressure. This was back when we knew it was gold. This feels all feels real. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah, I think I had Bob make the water really blue. And it seems like overkill now. Might have rethink that. <laughs> where where do you put this movie in the five that you've done with Bob Yeoman? Um, well, you know, I think Bob's work has just gotten better and better. You know, Bob was already great before we ever met him. I mean, we 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 I I I first met him because because you, you and I had loved. Drugstore Cowboy so much. Right. And we saw it in Austin in, I guess it's 1989 or something. Um, and um, and uh, so, but, uh, but I think, you know, Bob's, Bob's, he's, it's more sophisticated with each movie. I mean, would you say? Yeah. Well, I just, how, how do you judge it just by the way it looks? Like you see stuff that looks different here than in later movies, the way it's lit or something? Yeah, I guess the way it's lit. I mean, when we were doing this movie, I wasn't really, I just didn't really even know how to, how to I barely knew how to collaborate with him when it came to lighting. I knew what, you know, what I wanted the frame to be. And I, I sort of had a sense of lenses because we shot the whole thing with one lens. Um, but so this looks too warm to you this now or too beautiful i think it's the, the i think it i like the way it looks the the water i mean in some of the shots the water i think we put a blue gel on the light of that's in the water and i think i had asked him to do that and kind of press it and make it very blue and i think it looks a bit too much but i remember that shirt that i'm wearing I think I'd actually gotten in. Yeah, we found that at the at the used store, used clothing place near S and D, isn't it near S and D? Yeah, at Ahab Bowen, I think's the name of that place. And I got that shirt, and I think yeah. is that where the other shirt came from, the white shirt with the stripes. Uh, they went and got it there, Karen Patch. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like Luke. You know, I like Luke with the Guayavera shirt here. I kind of wish that was his whole look in the movie. He wears those now a little bit. He does? I guess I've seen him wear one of those. You know, Bob is the one. Bob used to wear them all the time. Yeah, that's what it is. Eck wears them, too. 
Oh, this one I remember. <laughs> no, 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 no. Son of a bitch! <laughs> Anthony! See, this Anthony! is the way of this movement Bob spinning. Jig-jag. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I think those kind of scenes sometimes are the... Uh, you can sometimes feel like a ham where you're, you kind of have that build-up. You know you're running right to the edge there, and you're going to look at the camera. Yeah. And it can be a little bit. Uh, but that one seemed pretty good. Yeah, it's so funny. I never have ever imagined it from, that, from your point of view of doing the running. I think I was sitting on the crane with Bob. Because you run right to the edge, and all of a sudden there's the camera. And uh, I find that those are the type of... Or a scene where it's you feel like this is going to be the the button of the scene. That's another thing that that I, I always find kind of puts an odd pressure on you when you're acting or something that something kind of that feels always kind of a little bit fake when you feel like and here this will be the funny line of the scene. Well, do you remember having? Um, do you remember when we first started shooting the short? And you and Luke and I and uh, Bert Guthrie were in that alley behind some 7-Eleven or something. Yeah, that's the 7-Eleven that we used to go play Asteroids at near. Right, on like Lover's Lane or something? Farquhar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, how did you feel during that? I felt, I don't remember how I felt, maybe a little bit nervous. Where's that rule written? There's nothing that says that. What are you working on? You know, we wrote the sh we didn't write the short as a short. We wrote it as the beginning of a feature, and by the time we shot the short, we had a script for our whole feature, a script that we developed and changed significantly over the couple of years after that. But we had the, we had the basic story. Sorry, don't apologize to me. Don't do that to me. Don't treat me like the jealous friend who's envious of you, because that's not what this is about. I'm as excited for you as anybody is. Really? Then I gotta go. I'll see you later, Dignan. See you back at the room. What I was just saying to me kind of sounds like a Jim Brooks type. Um, that sounds a little bit like his sense of humor, the way he kind of says, don't treat me like the jealous friend, because that's not, where you kind of say exactly what's going on. Yeah. You make it, you make it interesting by making it exactly on the nose. Exactly on the nose. <laughs> this music sounds good. Yeah, this is Love, the band Love, Arthur Lee. You know, should we talk about um, Mark Mothersbaugh? He's the composer. Um, he came to that screening in Santa Monica, and he was the other person in the audience who, who liked it. He did? He, yeah. I like that scene that we just, uh, that we just saw. that uh, With Luke and Lumi? Kind of falling into bed. That seems very... That seems romantic, good. Yeah. 
And I like this one here. This is, I think, my favorite shot in the whole movie. Just the, uh, for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a good scene. Why don't you come uh, over to this bar we're going to, Dignan? Where? It's in the town. No, I don't want to go. Why don't you just come with us? Hurt feelings. Dignan is hurt. Yeah. Why don't you just come over there with us? David Wasco, he, he contributed a lot to this movie. Any memories of Wasco? Yeah, just that how um, he's very, he's very, I'm not that crazy about that word, passionate, but that's how he seems. Yeah, this, yeah, they, now David found, David and Sandy, David and Sandy Wasco, the production designer and um, set decorator. Oh, you know, actually, what I remember with David is that we were, I remember we were all staying at the same hotel in Dallas, and we had just begun, and you guys had just watched sort of the first set of dailies, and David came up to me really intense and said it was that he really liked it, and uh, I really believed him when he said it, the way he said it. And it, yeah. and it really, I think, made us feel good. Yeah, you know, David, he also did something made, that, made, that made us feel good before, which is we went to visit the Pulp Fiction set, and we met Quentin Tarantino on that set, and we, and, you know, we had really enjoyed Reservoir Dogs, and, um, and David Wasco had seen our short probably through Kit Carson maybe or maybe Kit had given it to Quentin and um and he came and introduced himself and basically got involved with the movie right then and that was before we that was probably a year and a half or something maybe or anyway I don't know how long a year before we shot the movie um but he just expressed so much enthusiasm for it and he said he kept that enthusiasm for it. I think that's a really important thing is that you because I think it is kind of hard to keep your confidence or when you're doing something creative and so the people you really remember the people that give you um, yeah. you know there's you like need little... to be inspired by people. You got to you got to have some cheerleaders, not just people who tell you the truth. You got to get something some sustenance. <laughs> yes to kind of keep you going. And I remember Luke and I were very thrown by Bob Yeoman's focus puller, Boccaccio, who just seemed like such a professional kind of, and he didn't ever really show any emotion. And so when Luke and I are doing the scenes, that's the person who's right there looking at us with just sort of a poker face, and it was a little unnerving for us. Yeah. And when we finally kind of broke through and started to kind of kid around with Boccaccio and he started to kind of laugh sometimes when we were doing stuff. You never could get him to really like... But he laughed during a scene. Yeah. You saw him laughing during a scene and you knew you really had gotten through to him. Yeah, and so little things like that kind of uh, keep you going. When we started writing Bottle Rocket, it was the first script either of us had ever written, and we, I don't think we really knew what, what 
you know, we, I, 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 don't, I don't think we knew what sort of characters we were even drawn to. We knew the kinds of movies we loved, and we'd written lots of short stories, and we had a sense of those characters, um, and the mood of those, and there's some connections probably between those things and, the, and Bottle Rocket. Um, but I think it was only over the course of writing the script that we figured out what sort of movie we even wanted to do. Um, you know, I had more of a sense of what it ought to be like visually, than than what the than what the feeling of the of the story was going to be like, um, because it was it be it it was originally, I think, vaguely serious, and not and not consistently, and I think we needed to sort of choose the uh, the material that was more ours, um, and that was because originally I think it was extremely derivative. And it had a lot of uh, the, the crimes aspect of it, which had really no connection to our own personal lives and nothing to do with anything we had any experience about, really, at all. Um, was, um, that was sort of what it was about. And, and ultimately, the movie we made was more about us and our friends, I think, and, and, and about things we imagined, uh, situations we imagined our, our, ourselves and our friends in, I suppose. This is Rocky. Donnie Caicedo. Did, did he, was he a, a father by the time Bottle Rocket came out? I thought I remember maybe I got a Christmas card or something. He's like 15 or something. Maybe younger. I think it's good. I can't go. Why not? Why? Why not? What do you mean why not? I just told you why not. Would you, were, were there stuff when you'd look at the call sheet? Because there's always scenes that I kind of am not that excited to do, some that I look more forward to. Like, did you like doing this, the kind of, uh, the romantic stuff, the love story? I like doing some of it, yeah. I think this kind of, the thing is, a scene like this is, you know, there's a lot of, they have to do the same thing over and over and over again. So it was fun to rehearse it, but it's just not as fun to shoot. What's fun is, a, is when you're shooting a scene where it just happens once and there's something, there's some electricity about it and you've really got it right there. But I do remember when we shot, this might not be really right on topic, but you know the scene that we shot on the top of the sand dune? Yes. That was fun. Yeah. Talking about Darjeeling. Yeah. We had to wait for the train so we rehearsed without the train because we had to clear off the track and then we had that scene where you guys get out of the train and walk all around and then we had the whole scene up on the top and then you guys running down and um, we just did it so quickly and um, just you guys, you, everybody was really in it at that point. And also we shot three close-ups up there and then all three were just completely different, great performances well I mean I mean it's, maybe that sounds like bragging to say they yeah. but I mean that, that just to me they were uh, they were beyond what I was hoping for this is a nice bit here 
I also remember this haircut that I had because this is kind of, you know, when you and I first became friends, I think I always sort of had basically like this haircut. Yeah. I sort of had it for years and years. I thought it looked, I kind of thought it looked cool. And I'm surprised now sometimes somebody will see it and like a girl will say they don't like that haircut. <laughs> And, but but you know, before we went to go shoot it, I think we'd been out in Los Angeles for a year, and uh, and I my hair had gotten longer, and then I was oh, maybe, and I think Jim was maybe thinking maybe his hair should be longer, and then you really wanted me to go back to this haircut. Yeah. Yeah. I you know this you know I I think Luke is so good and. And Bob is great, and and there and Lumi's great, but this character, I don't think anybody quite. I don't know if you've seen this character before anywhere. I remember we went to go visit Paul Schrader, and and he had nice things to say about the movie, and he was talking that he he hadn't seen the, you know, this character. Dignan was a yeah a unique character. I I remember you doing. You were said, uh, I think I like an apple. For this, maybe that was an earlier part of it. This we, you know, for this, it's, I, we had this music in the scene all planned out for for years. You know, we rehearsed it for years. It's also nice that Luke and I don't we don't really look like brothers, so we can play. We're able to play friends. Yeah. But of course, you know, the fact that we are brothers probably helps. Some type right. of feeling in there. Yeah, do you remember where we, like, where did we rehearse? We, I remember rehearsing a lot at the Stonely Hotel where we were staying. But over the years, where had we rehearsed? Would we rehearse at Throckmorton? Well, we did a lot of rehearsing when we first came to Los Angeles because there was a very crucial table read that we did of, of Bottle Rocket, of the script, that was sort of going to determine whether or not Jim was going to sort of stay interested yeah. in the project. And we did right. it for some executives. And we did a good because we had done such a lousy table read. It wasn't a table <laughs> read, but when Jim first came to Dallas, he had seen the short and the script, and he flew to Dallas. And we went back to his hotel room, and we read the script. And first of all, the script was like 225 pages long, and it was just a just a horrible reading. And so this was sort of our chance to kind of redeem ourselves, and we really rehearsed and prepared for that read through, and we did a good job on that one. Yeah, we did. You remember did. that? You'd read the stage directions, and you really, you were like a uh, kind of like a you were really spitting out the words and keeping <laughs> it. <laughs> Excitement that you couldn't even keep out of your voice. <laughs> I think I was putting a lot of emphasis on things and trying to punch it up. Yeah, I do remember that. I remember we rehearsed in our, our offices, which the offices that we had at Gracie Films in the Sydney Poitier building were far and away the most expensive offices I have ever had since. Remember we had a patio and... The offices were incredible. Yeah, we were right there next to the Cary Grant Theater. This was, here's you blowing up. That's what she <laughs> is. Don't threaten me. That's what she is. What I think is, 
I think you were really good in that. I remember thinking, I remember just thinking, wow, when you've just unleashed on Yeah, them. I like somebody who, who can kind of, you know, get very angry but is quick to back down. Yes. <laughs> but is going to still yes. kind of... <laughs> Immediately. Even as he's backing down, is not going to quite... <laughs> Yes, as even as he's literally backpedaling. <laughs> he's literally backing down, but it's not yep. going to totally <laughs> give in. <laughs> now you're <laughs> now he's lying down. <laughs> why'd you do it, man? Now why'd you do it, man? I feel like that was from Jim. That that I feel like Jim said that to you one time. Why'd you do it, man? Why'd you do it? Well, you were very, you had such a, you had a certain way that you wanted the movie to look and and to be shot. And sometimes I think because it was your first movie, people would kind of, well, let's make sure that we get a lot of coverage and that we sort of protect ourselves. And that would lead to sometimes some, you know, not battles, but you and Jim kind of, uh, you know, having discussions about, <laughs> about scenes, and there was one scene where you, I guess, hadn't gotten the coverage that... Uh, and Jim said, why'd you do it, man? Why'd you do it, man? Why, why'd you do I it? I think you showed, one. well, you showed a close-up of, of, like, a cup coming down, being filled up with, like, you know, like a soft drink or something, and... Uh, Jim said, there better, be, there better be poison in that cup. If we're going to go to an insert like this and hold on it, there better be poison in that yeah. cup. Yeah, it was like, there better be poison in that cup. But the scene where he said, why'd you do it? I think it was the scene, oh, that we reshot in the diner. And it was because there was, you had like an old kind of cowboy looking guy <laughs> right in the forefront. Right money. The, like prominently. So Luke and I were in the background and you have this right. guy there and Jim was like why'd you do it man <laughs> and he couldn't you know, accept it like that you it was just... really it was a shot that was meant to it was meant to the whole scene was meant to play in the in the close-ups but I think I had shot a master that was so that for Jim to look at that master just seemed <laughs> insulting that we're gonna have this guy counting the whole time. That, that's what he was. He was counting money. Yeah. But I don't. I would not have done it the same way again. And we did not do it the same way when we did it again. Um, I think I was sometimes just so. I was just so confident in what I thought was the thing to do that I wouldn't always get the. You know, I would. I would sometimes miss a chance to hear something Jim had to offer. Um, yeah. But we did. But then we have so much that Jim brought to it that is in there. Well, no. When we were talking about sort of the things that kind of sustain you and getting uh, people to kind of believe in something that you're doing, you know, the obviously the biggest person, the best feedback we ever got was Jim coming to Dallas and then eventually saying that we could go make the movie. Yep. There's David Wasco right there. And his yellow warm-up. Yeah, he looks good. Yep, that was when we learned the expression, the mountain is coming to Mohammed. The mountain comes to Mohammed. And we just saw Teddy, our dog, the chocolate brown Labrador, jumping in the water. And he's... Yeah, Teddy, Teddy could uh, swim to the bottom of the pool. Yeah, there he is again. He could swim to the bottom. You could throw a golf ball in the pool and hit swim to the bottom and get it. And Teddy was the son of Blue who was uh, our other dog that we had for forever. 
And they both, they both ran off in thunderstorms towards the end of their lives. I think that I might have been, it might have been partly my fault, Teddy getting out. Really? I mean, I, try, I think I didn't prop the fence shut properly. Probably really? Luke's, yeah. Well, I don't know if that was right. Maybe, maybe Teddy came back. I'd like to think that that wasn't the last time we saw Teddy. Yeah, I don't know. That cannot have been. That's, that would be like... This is the introduction of the yellow jumpsuits. I think Luke brought something very gently. Luke's very gentle in this stuff. Well, Luke kind of has these. Trying to apologize. I guess they're hangdog eyes that are can be very kind of kind and. <laughs> He's good. Sometimes there isn't, you know. I think because Luke can be a little cranky sometimes in real life. Although he'd probably say that that I'm cranky. Uh, but when he does sort of warm up, it's very nice. Yep. <laughs> As you do a jump there. Here now we're gonna we're gonna meet uh, Mr. Henry, James Kahn. There's his hand. Um, <laughs> now, Jimmy. He uh, we no. You remember the yellow jumpsuits? Little banana. Yeah. Now, now Jimmy Kahn. We uh, we we were very lucky to get him. We hadn't really found anybody. We, we somehow we managed to. We had the same agent as James Kahn. Yeah, we got very lucky when. Remember. Well, it was also I remember. I remember when, when Jimmy got to Dallas and he had Luke and I over to his trailer to eat lunch with him and. It was just very exciting for us. Yeah. And then we had little sort of, uh, like, what do they call one bangers, or just sort of like little places with like a little bench where you kind of would right. hang out. We went to his trailer and. Uh, he had a proper trailer. He had a proper trailer, and he said, This represents, you know, uh, kind of you, as you, I guess, your career. They give you one of these. Yeah, well, I've tried to cut those out of these movies. Yeah. Don't don't like them. Why? I feel like once people leave the set and go away, they're not thinking about the movie anymore, and everything slows down, and it gets it becomes formal in a way that I don't really enjoy, and it becomes like a professional movie, and people and there's just never the same energy as if it's people. Who, I I it's just so much more exciting. I feel like when you're working in a way that feels like a more like a student film. And everybody just kind of stays there. Yeah. Like you know, like 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 Gene Hackman, he would always, he would almost always stay on the set. He wouldn't leave unless he knew it was going to be a very long time. But what he wanted to do was go home when it was, you know, he wanted to finish as early as possible. But he wanted to sort of stay in it until then. I think that's good. This is St. Mark's, where Luke and I went to school. That was the uh, the guy who plays his uh, associate rowboat. That was uh, James Kahn's master. Yes. Uh, Tak Kubota. In real life, that was his kind of karate advisor. Sensei. 
And I remember because you had the idea to have them in their briefs, and yes. Jimmy wondered how respectful that was to have to a holy man, this guy who's I guess sort of a karate holy man uh, yep. in his underwear. And I said, uh, but Jimmy, I think it might be really funny. And he said, uh, so what, what, you're going to start now? <laughs> uh, so, Owen, here's where you make your entrance on your little uh, motorbike, which I remember uh, we had our idea for the scene, and then Bob Yeoman and I were location scouting, and a guy drove into the uh, grocery store next to us riding this, and on the uh, front fender... He had written in a magic magic marker, uh, $279. And that's how we got this. You guys bought this right then and there? Um, no, we told him we were going to, we didn't, we didn't want to take it. He, he had ridden it there, so he wanted to ride it home anyway. But we bought it from him later. Um, here comes Andrew and Brian, future man. Andrew's good in this one. They're both good in this one, aren't they? Yeah, because they're really laughing. Yeah. Looks like a rodeo clown. He looks like a little banana. Where are you from? Andrew's really not like this character. He's great. Clipping the hedges, sweeping up, mowing the lawn. What's the name of your little lawnmower You can tell Brian's really laughing. Yeah. Let's go. They really Luke's. just poor Dignan. <laughs> yeah. They just and Luke's Luke's character. He doesn't like this at all. They just laughed at him. It was, it was, it's landscaping, not just mowing. Oh, man, don't listen to that guy. I don't know. Sometimes I, I mean, I'm not always as confident as I look. Did you see what he had on? Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> all right. Well. No. Wait. <laughs> I like that. That that's always kind of a that's a funny thing to me. Did you see what he had on? Yeah, yeah it was, it was pretty cool. Cool. Yeah, cool. I like that. God damn it! I'm in. What'd you say? What? I'm in. I knew you'd be back. I think you wanted me to keep these goggles on for this. You mastermind the plan. It wasn't my choice as an actor. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get me one of these jumpsuits. Gotta get me one of these jumpsuits. You like these? Yeah. Done. Deal. All right. You're doing the right thing, Anthony. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's funny the way Luke says that. Yeah, I know I am. And then this, I think. This was real. That was that was real. You couldn't get it started on that one. Some switch wasn't flipped right. And here we see Mr. Henry's Volkswagen and yeah, and brain. that was the scene. The the even though you'd kind of been up until James Conn showed up, you just were directing friends and you know people you're comfortable with. You said you were a little nervous with Jimmy, but you stuck to your guns with. I remember there was, I think he wanted him to wear Chuck Taylors or something, uh, yes. some shoes when he was jogging, and Jimmy wanted something with better, yeah, what was it? 
Jimmy said, uh, let me ask you a question. You think this guy would wear shoes with no fucking support? Right. <laughs> he wanted to wear kind of, you know, good running shoes. Yep. That became, I think, an enduring theme with you of putting people in wardrobe that they might not necessarily pick for the character themselves. <laughs> Didn't Ben say that when you're going to work on a West movie? Check you your ego at the door. Put your vanity in a drawer. <laughs> <laughs> this is... I like this one. You order a. What do you want? I'll have a Tom Collins. That seems real. Stop. You give up here. Nothing. No more fighting. Bob, come here, Bob. I'm gonna hug him. I'm gonna hug him. What are we doing out here? What happened? I like this wardrobe that I'm wearing. Yes, this was, I remember you had an idea to be, uh, that you should be a bit inspired by Mr. Henry to wear a turtleneck. <laughs> was that what it was? Yes. <laughs> uh, here we are, we have the whole team in place. The whole, the whole crack team has been We have Applejack. Applejack, Kumar, Bob Maplethorpe. Piece of work. <laughs> well, yeah, you just signed. <laughs> My work is a finger work. Now, that expression I have with Kumar, I feel, is the expression you have in real life a lot with Kumar. You can't quite follow what he's saying. The name Future Man, there was a scene in the film that I think is included in the deleted scenes on this DVD. It explains that Future Man is, he's called Future Man because he looks like he's from the future, like he was designed by scientists for desert warfare, um, like a, kind of a Dolph Lundgren Terminator sort of a look, which I think Dignan and Bob find particularly intimidating, and also probably a look they wish they had themselves. That's right, you're on that top secret mission. I'm sorry, I forgot I wasn't supposed to say anything. <laughs> I'd just appreciate it if you didn't run around telling everybody lies about me. Okay, I'm sorry, I apologize. I know you have a reputation to uphold. What is Brian wearing I'm here? It's an Jonathan. odd one. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy had no problem with this scene. The world. He had a... He had a hold that he, that he was ready to use. Yeah. John, one day I believe that you're going to wake up and realize you no longer have a brother and you no longer have any friends. Like if, if Andrew and Jimmy were going to get into a fight in real life, I think you'd have to bet on Jimmy. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but, Jim, but he's a very hard person. James Caan. It's not an act. He's tough. He's tough. He wrote, He was a rodeo rider. He played football at Michigan, Michigan State. Well, I remember him throwing the football on the lot during some ADR we were doing, and he had a kind of old-fashioned, amazing... Was he a quarterback? I think he, like, returned kicks or something. <laughs> 
This originally we written it that he was going to play Imagine. He was going to play Imagine? Yeah. That would have been great. I know. I Why know. didn't? Because we couldn't get the rights to it? Yeah, it was, we didn't have any money for music at this time. God, that would have been perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, Hinkley Cold Storage, this is in Dallas, and I worked there for a few weeks for a friend of... Uh, Mrs. Dignan. Mrs. Dignan. Yeah. Steve. Steve. Right, it was Steve who did the... Uh, yeah, it was Steve, right. ...catering or did some food stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you brought me over there saying you'd been in this incredible place um, that was filled with ice. Well, doesn't it look pretty incredible? It's great. It's iconic, if that doesn't sound like too much. that's. I was just about to say that. That it's iconic? It does look iconic there. Yeah. Yeah. I like now you're in a blazer and tie. Why? It's just funny. I know, but why am I wearing a coat and tie here? I'll tell you why you're wearing a coat and tie here. Because you said I'd like to wear a blazer for the scene, for the party scene. Oh, and we're going straight to the party from here. Yes, you're getting ready to go to the party. And, um... And I think that I sent you over to, like, the men's warehouse to get a blazer. Um, it's good that, I, that I'm wearing a blazer. It looks very, uh, well, it looks a little... Collegiate? Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, now, remember, this is his kimono... That he brought, and he also had an idea that he would have a, a little ponytail that if he turned his head a little bit, you'd see it, but then when he looked ahead again, you'd say, you, that you'd say I, did I see it? Was that, what was that? Did I see something? He, he does have it. Yeah. He had it just every now and then, and he'd say, that was a funny thing he had. There's Cousteau on the wall behind. Yeah, hi, can I speak to Inez, please? No, she's one of the housekeepers. She works here. She's worked there for a while. Please don't do this to me, ma'am. Look, I'll just, let me see what I can do. Well, it's your decision. Do you remember staying at that motel? That will quite obviously you do. No, the the motel where we filmed at, we also lived at. We lived there, yeah, and it was we'd all the whole crew was living in the motel and filming it. It was kind of great. Like we would just wake up. We were on the set. Just certain rooms had been painted red or orange. Those were the ones to shoot in. What's that thing they... S this one. Now, you had a romantic scene with her. Oh, yeah. That we cut out. She threw a drink in my face. Yes, yes. And I had, her, I had her do a take where she threw a real drink in order, thinking that I'd get, like, a great real reaction out of you. And, 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 and kind of thinking it was like a William Friedkin sort of thing to do. And your reaction was you were so shocked that you looked and you said, what, why did you do that? Yeah. You, and she said, he told me to, <laughs> pointing to me. And you were really... I was upset. You were very upset. It did not inspire you to no. come up with a great spontaneous comic reaction. You got a reaction, just not from Dignan, Owen Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
And I said to Bob, "Was you think that was mean? That I, I mean, did I? What did I do?" And Bob said, "Oh, Billy would do. Billy would do so much worse stuff than that. That's nothing compared to Billy." Because he'd worked with Friedkin. Who are these people in the background? I think that one pretty girl that we saw in the background knew Jimmy. She had like. Oh, knew Jimmy Kahn. Yeah, I had gone on like a date with him like 10 years earlier or met him at dinner or something. Huh. I don't remember that. I do remember there was a friend of Bob's here. Or no, maybe Mr. Hudson. Bob's friend Mr. Hudson might have been there. But then maybe maybe we took, we might have taken a lot. No, that's Mr. Hudson with a hat in the far left there. Yeah, kind of sort of very. Oh, and there's Warren. There was Warren. Bird dog, a scarecrow. Bird dog, a scarecrow. Come in. Go ahead, bird dog. Now we're on top of a scissor lift here. That was very. It was really would sway a lot. Let's go. Let's go. Two more. Are you ready? Yeah. Let's get lucky. This one we started using the steady cam. I remember when we were writing it in Los Angeles, getting ready, uh, and we were talking about uh, maybe they're in jumpsuits and maybe they're yellow, and you yeah. love the idea of yellow. You immediately started laughing at right. <laughs> canary <Yeah>. yellow. <laughs> well, it isn't. Yeah, it, it isn't, I guess, it doesn't blend in. <laughs> Not exactly a camouflage. <laughs> yes. This one, we're building up the intensity. There's no real obstacles to <laughs> doing the job. It's, it's nevertheless the suspense is building. Who's that man? Who's that man? Come on. And that's our first sort of indication that maybe this it isn't going to go the way we hope yes. it will. Right down the floor over here. Are you at Nagwish? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> don't, remember, don't remember that. Oh, boy, there it is. That's no problems. No problems. <laughs> hey, uh, Jackknife, come in. Yeah. He's really... Kumar did a great job there. Yes. Kumar was great. Kumar still, we always have had Kumar in every movie. Yeah. Except Life Aquatic when we were in Italy. Keep this line clear at all times. Come on. Any activity, bird dog? Negatory, we're all clear. There's Bob. He's getting off his mark. It's starting to come unglued. It's not like Reefy Fee or one of the great classic heist scenes. No. But it's, uh,. It's maybe it's character-driven? I guess. This one, I know we had to get the camera. We had to get a little crane through here. The ensemble. Not, not to any particular great effect. <laughs> a jump cut. Try to speed it up a little. Give it to me. Did you drop it? Come on, Bob. You're supposed to be down on the loading dock. You go down there, man. I'm by myself down there. What's going on? It was Bob. He dropped his 
Get back in position, assholes. Get back in position, assholes. Now we're we're caught up in the story. Dan Padgett. Yes, our assistant editor, Dan Padgett. He's there. Time! Jesus, what the hell are you doing here? It's my walkie-talkie, bro, man. Shh, shh. Two minutes. Okay. Put on your mask. Put on your mask. They've already seen our faces, Dignan. Don't worry about it. Put on your mask. Come on. We got problems, man. What are you doing? What are you doing? Sit down. Man, Come I on, man. Do it. I could not do it, man. I, you I, can't I, get I, it? I, I, no, I could not do it. Kumar's good oh, here. Bob, will you please put the mask on and turn away? Can't get it on. Now, somehow, why did Bob end up not being able to get on his mask? Yours is red. Now, I remember originally Luke was supposed to wear the red mask. Luke didn't want to wear that. Do you remember the inspiration for Bob's gun going off? No. It was when we were with Temple doing the short, and he had us out there, there was a smoke bomb. Uh, Temple had us out there doing our scene with the guns, and um, the, um, Bob shot his gun accidentally into the ground right next to his foot, because we were, and we were using live rounds. He almost shot Temple? He almost shot his own foot. Oh. Well, we were kind of kidding around about how this is a sort of big set piece action, but as I watch it now, it does seem kind of exciting to me. I think, yeah, I think. Don't it you is. think? I mean, you get that noise and the franticness. And here's Kumar. He gives us. He's got a great moment here. Come on, what are you doing on, in the freezer? I don't know, man. I lose my touch, man. Did I, you ever have a I touch to lose, I'm man? We has his Dallas Cowboys hat. Well, I think what's genuine is the confusion. Yes. It feels... Now, here's... here's the... Now, this is actually what I watched the other day when I was flipping through the channels, and I saw it was on, and I was saying, well, maybe I won't watch this because I'm going to do the commentary, but then... But then Steve was in there, and we got sucked into it. Yeah, the thing is, it's what's just nice is all you is you just seem like friends and kind of touching about this group. But it's also the way the sky looks this time of year. It's it seems a little cold out. And then you have this moment. Seems a little raw. <laughs> I gotta fly solo on this baby. Okay, Dignan. I don't have time to argue with okay, you right now. I don't now. have time either. Okay, Dignan. Now you get back to Bob's. Just go. in charge here. You are, you dumb son of a bitch. Now, please leave. Give me this one. Give me this one. You gotta give me this one. Dignan, you know what's gonna happen if you go back there. No, I don't. You'll never catch me, man. Because I'm fucking innocent. Now we have our Rolling Stones song. 
So that was Luke, generosity of spirit. Yeah. That he's going to let me be the leader. Yep. And he's going to let me go back in to it. And you know, another nice thing that happened was, so we had the, you know, the bad test screenings, and the, and, and I think Siskel and Ebert didn't even recommend it. No, no, they didn't. Although they would later recommend Anaconda, my next movie. <laughs> and they had, I guess uh, Ebert had Scorsese on, and like a special show, and he gave his top ten for the decade, and he had Bottle Rocket in his top ten for the decade. Yeah. And then when he wrote, there's an article on the next Scorsese. I remember an Esquire, and Scorsese wrote about you, about how much he likes you, and he talked about that line, they'll never catch me because I'm fucking innocent. Yeah. That's, and he, I think what he liked the most was the innocence of the characters. Which I think, the, you know, I mean, one of my favorite scenes is, the, is uh, the scene with the three of you in the prison at the end. Yeah. Which, had, which, had, which um... And they'll never catch me because I'm fucking innocent is in a uh, Guns N' Roses song, Out to Get Me. Yes. But it's used in a different it's used in a different tone. way <laughs> yeah now this guy they really kind of unload on me here Wes yeah did you it's this well, uh, I guess the idea was but, that you would but watch the la- watch this guy not this guy watch this guy come up and hit me <laughs> <laughs> And it's great to have this song playing. Yeah. How did you find this song, or did you always know? Um, this one I had in mind when we were when we were writing it, before we shot it, long before we shot it. I know this one was set aside for a long time. You had this as the idea for playing over the whole thing. Yeah. Now remember, this was a private prison. Yeah. I remember the warden had five different kinds of cancer at the time. He was very... He's a tough guy. He really was. He was kind of amazing. And there were all the inmates there when we were shooting. These guys are probably extras, but we had... Uh, the prison was functioning. Wasco State Penitentiary. Yep. You remember what time of year this was, Wes? No. Was it summer? No, no way. it wasn't. It was around Christmas, right? Yeah. It's like maybe late November. Because we I, were there well, for Thanksgiving, because we had Thanksgiving. Everyone had Thanksgiving over at my parents. Straight Lane, yeah. The, um... 
Yeah, you should, probably they should take out me saying the address. <laughs> <laughs> no, they already know. They can already get that stuff. Oh. Well, the... Um, you see this stuff, and it does make you think of... Uh, what do they say there in The Catcher in the Rye about... Start missing people? You have to be careful about talking about stuff because you kind of can start to miss everything. Yeah. So what all did he get? Pretty much everything. I bet he got that grand piano. He got everything. Here, you know, I remember something. I had seen a guy with, um, who was, when I was visiting the prison, I had seen a guy making little um, belt buckles. Um, and I think just right before we shot this, I gave you the belt buckles and you just kind of did a little... I like this line. Just because you're a fuck-up doesn't mean you're not my brother. And that touched me. He doesn't open up like that. It kind of touched me. You know, he, he didn't normally open up like that. Well, see, that seems so... That seems very real to me. And it's, yeah. it's a funny line, but it's it seems... The way Bob says it, that it's, you really do believe it. Yeah. And then the thing with the belt buckles that's nice, that I think's the whole, I don't know if it's the theme of the movie, but I like that idea of forgiveness or that there aren't yeah. any kind of bitter, hard feelings. Yeah. Well, I remember James Kahn had his theory of what he thought the title meant, which was that, um, you know, bottle rockets... They're this type of fireworks that um, they don't really go very high and they don't really make much of an explosion. There's not much really to show there, but that's really all they're meant to be. And they just you just appreciate them for what they are, these sort of gentler little fireworks. Um, and somehow he felt the movie, had, the theme of the movie had to do with kind of aiming low but getting there. Aiming low. <laughs> And as if on cue, I say we did it, didn't we? <laughs> we did it, though, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. It's good seeing you. I remember we wrote, I think this scene, we wrote this scene in the, your father's office. In like the conference room there. Yeah. Wait for my instructions. When we go through the next gate, you'll have 30 seconds to take out the tower guard. 30 what? seconds. I always like these type of endings, like in Breaking Away, where he kind of, he sees his dad at the end, he's like, bonjour, and you realize he hasn't changed. Yeah. And that's, to me, is this, that Dignan is still... Still... Let's go! Now! 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 Still dreaming. Isn't it funny how it used to be in the nut house and now I'm in jail? <laughs> now we kind of twist it. And then it's... Yeah. Could it... Is it does that sound too... Is it... I guess maybe it's a little bit about growing up. I guess if it's like a metaphor. Or maybe that's too too heavy, but it seems kind of sad.
Well, that's it. Let's look at the names. Polly, Cynthia, Skit's wife, Cynthia. Richard Sakai. Richard Sakai, we should mention him. Doc Sakai was a big supporter, champion of the project. Doc Sakai. We went to dinner with him practically every night for a year and a half. Yeah. He had a lot of advice for us. David Moritz has edited some of our other movies. He's an old friend who's from, who worked with Richie Marks, who worked for Jim. What about the typeface? Yeah, well. I like that. Yeah, Futura. Somehow, that's the one I've always been using. Andrew, he was on the short, we called him our consigliere. Sweet Lumi. Happened to Ray Zimmerman. I think he's run run something or another at TriStar or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Mark Mothersbaugh's gone on to do lots of movies with us. Barbara Boyle, Michael Taylor, we're old friends. How would they say Bottle Rocket? Michael Taylor would say Bottle Rocket. Bottle Rocket. How are things going on Bottle Rocket and all everything that's been happening on Bottle Rocket? Yeah. Um, Jim Goldthwaite was our first assistant director. He was the brother of Bobcat Goldthwaite, Bobcat Goldthwaite, or Bob Goldthwaite, I guess, if you call him that. Bobcat. Scott Peterson, John Boccaccio. Sarah Brooks Elkhorn, <laughs> Kim Naves, our music supervisor, did a few of them with us. Greg Jackson, Jeff Shepard, those are Gracie guys. I think our Jim Burkus, our agent, his wife went out with Arthur Lee when she was a teenager. Really? From this band, Love. Yeah. Zorro is back. That was music from a, from a Zorro movie with Alain Delon that came out when we were like in fifth grade or something. It had a great Zorro song in it. Then we have the Proclaimers, great Scottish brothers band. Two brothers. John Roman, Burt Guthrie, Barry Braverman, and all guys who worked on the short with us. You know, the names go by so fast, you don't even really get a chance to take them in. No. You just, sometimes you just have to... Let it go. Sit back and view the hole with wonder. 